When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Whatever you've got on this weekend, don't miss a moment in the world of sport. Wherever you are around the country, we've got you covered. This is SENZ. It's just gone three o'clock here on SENZ. This is your Sunday afternoon show with Ricardo Ball coming up. Brett Angel, former Everton striker, is going to join us. We'll talk English Premier League, including the Merseyside derby, Everton hosting Liverpool uh, late last night in the first Merseyside derby of the season. After four o'clock, we'll talk with former New Zealand Davis Cup captain and pro tennis player Jeff Simpson on the US Open and where that is at. And around 4.30 as well, we'll head to Australia and catch up with Crick Info's uh, Andrew McGlashan on the coming Hadley Chapel series and the fact that the Aussies got beaten in a one day by Zimbabwe last night. Um, or was it last night or was it the night before? But yeah, anyway, Zimbabwe had a leg spin and it took five for ten off three overs, uh, which is not bad. Not bad at all. Good way to, to wipe up the tail. Uh, we're going to talk some rugby league shortly, but uh, just updating you, the NPC, there are a couple of games uh, just at half time at the moment. Well, I think Bay of Plenty, uh, Otago's just come back. Otago lead that one. This is in Dunedin by 13 to 10. Tight game, though, and Bay of Plenty on attack currently. The other game is in Christchurch, Canterbury versus Hawks Bay. Hawks Bay lead at half time 13 5. So another tight one there. We'll also have live rugby league on at the moment in the uh, NRLW with the Parramatta Eels taking on the Newcastle Knights. And Parra have just scored uh, 12 minutes into the second half. Parra have scored a try, so it's 10 all with a kick to come to the Eels, so they could take the lead there. And it's been a good weekend for the club, the Parramatta Eels. Thursday night, they played the Storm, and uh, that game was effectively a quarter final. Whoever won it finished fourth and got an extra life in the playoffs. And uh, Combank Stadium in Sydney, the Eels ran out winners 22-14 to 14 in that one. And uh, that was all down to Andrew Voss. Um, he was commentating. He's commentated the Eels 10 times this season now, and they've won every time he's commentated. So uh, here's the Eel Whisperer. It's official. Uh, then on Friday, we saw the Dogs get up over the Seagulls 21-20 in a, in a bit of a nail-bite. It was a good game, that one. The Roosters beat the Rabbits 26-16. We're going to see that match up again this week because those two teams play each other in sudden death footy as well. The Warriors did a Warriors. They led 16-0 at one point and ended up losing to the Titans in extra time 27-26 in their last game of the season. 
The Dragons too good for the Broncos, 22-12. to The Cowboys uh, got up over a very much second-string Panthers, 38-8 as well. And coming up this afternoon, the Knights-Sharks. Sharks can go second if they win that convincingly. And the Raiders-Tigers. The Raiders can lose that game and still stay in eighth place. They just can't lose it by more than 50 points, which, given the way the Tigers have gone this season, seems unlikely. So you think the Raiders are locked into eighth. And uh, Ben, I know... You will have been keeping an eye on this. Did you go to the Warriors game last night? Yeah, I was at the Warriors game yesterday. Uh, not great being there in the crowd, but uh, considering it was all the big big sellout, it was all built up, there was only was it 20,500 people there. Wow, I thought it held more than that. Well, it did, but the, the game had sold out. It wasn't as packed, as, of course, as the homecoming game, but all the tickets got snapped up. But uh, could have been the weather, could have been a big part of it, could have been with the All Blacks on after. There could have been a multitude of factors to why that was, but uh, it was great being there, of course, last game of the season, but very disappointing in the way it ended, but it kind of, it was kind of like the perfect way to sum up the Warriors season you felt that game. Yeah, I mean, they went off a cliff in the second half, didn't they? I mean, they really let the Titans back into it when they shouldn't have, and neither team had anything to play for, but I, and my, I was doing my picks, and I went, these are two teams, neither have anything to play for, uh, but the Warriors are home for only, what, the third time this season. That should be enough to get them up. So I picked the Warriors by, like, 10. Um, so it's the only one I've got wrong this weekend, Ben. I was a bit disappointed with their performance. Well, it's actually pretty good going. And even when you're sitting there and I saw the Warriors were up 16-0, uh, it, well, they led by 16 a couple of times, and you kind of felt, uh, I don't, it's not really – you didn't feel comfortable with that lead. But when it got to that last 10 minutes, when it really capitulated, you – you did feel that okay, surely they have got this wrapped up, but no, it was it was absolutely incredible, uh, and as I said, just a great way to sum up the season. Very disappointing season. Uh, I'm trying to just go back into the into my memory bank, and there's a couple of poor years the Warriors had from my memory. 2004 been a bit of a stand a standout considering what happened there. 2009. Uh, which was Ivan Cleary's probably worst season as coach, uh, but that was also the year that Sonny Fye passed away at the beginning of the year, and I don't know how much impact that had. Uh, but I would, I wouldn't even go as far as to say it was probably the Warriors' worst ever season, finishing fifteenth, uh, four points short of last place. Uh, it was just, it's just heartbreaking. You felt that over the three years just gone that this should have been their better season, considering they had a plan. If they finished 15th in maybe 2020, 2021, you'd probably felt okay, considering what had happened. But this year, it wasn't really kind of those excuses that had been there in the years past. So seeing them finish that low was actually really disheartening, to be honest. And boy, I hope they can turn around next year. Well, let's talk about next year then. Let's talk about who's departing the Warriors uh at the, now, basically, we know Reese Walsh is gone, right? And you and Aitken, who won the Simon Mannering Medal, is also gone. Yeah, so there's quite a few guys departing. I must admit, when they handed that award out yesterday to you and Aitken, I was a bit shocked. I really felt, I thought it was Wade Egan's, I was 100% confident Wade Egan was going to win that, but he didn't. But that can be a discussion for the other day. But you got you and Aitken, Jesse Arthurs, and Dejan Arce, a couple of guys who. Aren't coming back. It's a bit disappointing with both of those. I feel, even though mm-hmm. Arthur's, Arthur's is on loan, so that that could have potentially change 
uh, but maybe the Broncos have been impressed with him, and maybe they feel that he could add value to their to their team. And actually, quickly, I'm actually I'm actually glad the Warriors didn't do a Broncos. I think I'd probably be a bit more upset if they did a Broncos this year and or a Sea Eagles and lost their last God knows how many games to and missed out on the eight after being a show in almost. Yeah, um, uh, that that I mean, both those teams have been basket cases in the last what seven weeks. Yeah, so even though the Warriors are fifteenth and those teams did finish higher, boy, I'm glad glad the Warriors didn't do that. But you also got uh, you know Chanel Harris Tavita going, got Ali Katoa who's finished the season real strong. Mm. Uh, Jack Murchie is another one who is in and out of the squad a bit. Uh, Reese Walsh, as you said, Ash Taylor retired earlier this year. Matt Lodge left earlier this year, uh, and there's a couple of other guys as well who have not played or been on the fringes of making their their debuts. But uh, there's a couple of guys in there like Jesse Arthur's who I hope would be back next year, but. You just never know. Never know. I mean, let's have a look at who's coming in then. Uh, Mitch Barnett, uh, who can play second, really is a second row, but I may play prop. Uh, Tamaiti Martin, uh, fullback slash halves. Uh, Luke Metcalf, definitely a half. Chance Nickel Clockstead, maybe in the centres, even though he can play wing or fullback as well. Uh, Marata Niakore, probably second row, probably on the edge. And Dylan Walker, who can pretty much play anywhere. Um, I don't know where you think he'll play with the. Uh, with with the Warriors. But, I mean, I look at those players coming in versus the players we're losing, and you and Aitken aside, um, it feels like everything's an upgrade. Yeah, it would be great to see a bit more of an upgrade in that in that propping rotation. You know, we've had Adam Fanua Blake, had Tohu Harris play there, and I would quite like to see a bit more size added in there. But I think you are right. It's going to be, I'm very curious to know how the uh, the spine will look next year because I'd like to see Luke Metcalf in that team. But unless he gets a run in the halves or at fullback, he probably won't. So I would, how I see it as of right now, I'd have Luke Metcalf at fullback. I'd have Nickel Klugstad playing in the centres. And I'd have probably Tamati Martin and Sean Johnson in the halves and have Wade Egan as your hooker. Dylan Walker, not too sure where I'd probably use him. I, 14. That's where I was thinking, but I I am a Freddie Lussick fan, so it is it is a bit of a tricky one, and whether they can make it work in the centres, uh, but it'd be quite disappointing because, well, I guess it depends on the whole Arthur's thing, but you know Marcelo Montoya has played a bit in the centres this year as well. Um, with Cossey on the wings of Dallin. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that squad does line up. Yeah, we had this text come through from Chris, uh, which Warriors fans blocked your ears. Uh, don't worry about the Warriors. Sean Johnson wants to play on. Everybody just needs to chill. 2033 will be our year. 33, that was, not 23. You didn't hear that wrong. I mean, do we... Do you, you can't write 2023 off already just on the back of Sean Johnson wanting to carry on, can you? I, I, I get quite frustrated because Sean Johnson came out before the game and admitted he hadn't had his best year, and I think everyone would agree. However, I feel that if the Warriors did not have Sean Johnson, the Warriors would be getting presented with the wooden spoon right now. I think that's how much of an impact that he had on the team because we go back to 2021, a big reason why the Warriors lost so many games because they couldn't close out those tight ones. I think that was it lost seven by less than a converted try. Sean Johnson comes back in, and in the first, I know we're going all the way back to the start of the season, but he kicked two game-winning field goals at the start of the season. Mm. I I believe if Sean Johnson's not in the team for those games, the Warriors don't win those, that's four points down the drain, we'd be last right now. So I, I really believe, even though Sean Johnson has not been perfect, he's had his credits, which is warranted, 
where the Warriors would, I believe, the Warriors would have got the wooden spoon if he wasn't in the team. Do you think with Andrew Webster coming in and the backroom staff he's bringing with him that Sean Johnson, not just Sean Johnson, I mean, this is an attack on him at all, but just the perception of people is that he buttons off. So do you think the top, Sean and the whole rest of the squad as well will be held more accountable to sort of more being more consistent? Well, I think the thing is next year, You've got you're going to have quite a few guys that can play in the halves, so there's going to be a bit of depth there. So there could be the possibility that if a guy like Sean, let's say Ronald Volkman or whoever is in the halves, they don't perform. There are going to be players there that are definitely a lot more capable of filling in, and potentially you could see a guy get dropped if they, if they don't play well. So. I, I do think that whoever, the, well, of course, Webster is coming in and the coaches probably will have to be a bit harsher, especially as we touched on the signings. It feels like the Warriors are getting a bit of an upgrade in terms of personnel coming in, which will also create a bit more depth. So I I would hope that if a player isn't playing that they would probably get a drop. We saw Reese Walsh get dropped you know, a few weeks ago, mm. uh, of course, of course, but due to his form. But yeah, that, that, that could happen and... It's kind of one of those weird things, though. If you got your—I don't want to call him the star playmaker, but your high-earning playmaker—you don't really want that sitting on the bench or playing reserve grade. It'd be a bit like if you know Dallin Watini-Zelezniak gets dropped; he's the highest-paid winger in the competition, and you don't really want your highest-paid winger playing reserve grade, do you? No, that is true. Um, well, what about the propping rotation then? We'll have Aiden Fanua Blake. We'll have Bunty Arfoa. Um, I'm not sure who else we've got in that propping rotation. I mean, we we probably do. You don't want to be converting second rowers uh, to front rowers. Tohu Harris has played there a lot this year. There has been some speculation that the Warriors might offer James Tamo something. I mean, where are you on that? Yeah, the propping rotation is quite an interesting one. I've, based on who the Warriors have got coming in and who they've got, you wouldn't be surprised if Tohu kind of stays in that in that propping role because I think you've got to keep Josh Curran. And then, yes, we talked on uh, Mitch Barnett and Nakore both coming in. And you've got Jazz Tavanga, who's, of course, been injured as well. So uh, Tohu could easily stay in that prop. James Tarmel, yeah, I, w- I think he, he kind of would add that bit of leadership. You know, he kind I guess his experience kind of hasn't waned off on the Tigers too much, unfortunately, because uh, I think that's kind of why you'd bring him in for that kind of veteran voice more so than anything. But I feel like they could probably... They probably could do with a bit more depth because, I, regardless of what you think of the incident, you could say that the war, the moment Matt Lodge left was kind of a sign that they're saying, okay, the season's a write-off, and just look how well he's playing in a good system now at the Roosters. And I've seen, I think, is it Joe? I think Joey Johns has come out and said he should be in the Kangaroo squad for the World Cup, and that's how well he has been playing. Yeah, yeah, he's been playing very well. Been playing very well, so that's uh, yeah, it's a good call actually. It's a good call. Uh, how impressed were you with Thursday night's game from the Eels? A big win over the Storm. I mean, they kept the Storm scoreless for sixty six minutes. I mean, it was a lot more comfortable than twenty two fourteen suggests. Yeah, look, the Eels have how I guess I guess the way I would describe it, even though they finished in that, they were going to finish in fourth in the top four. It's been a bit of an odd season for them because they've produced these outstanding performances where they've beaten the top teams, they've beaten the Panthers twice, beaten the Storm, but then they they have struggled against those lower teams. And as an Eagles fan, it would be it must be incredibly frustrating, but it seemed like a couple of weeks ago that, or a bit longer than that, that it seemed like their kind of title hopes were over. 
but they're kind of hitting that stride, heading into the finals, and now they've got that fourth spot. They've got their extra life if it's needed. There's, there's no reason why they can't go on a run, and a, and a big win against the Storm, although I've said that I don't think we'll be the same Storm team next year and we'll probably drop down a bit. Uh, I think that's going to serve them in great stead heading into the finals. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, it'll be uh, interesting to see how they go. The the bet, the bonus for the Eels is that there are no rubbish teams in the eight, so they should be okay. Because <laughs> they well, only lose to rubbish teams, you, apparently. Have, have you contacted uh, Fox Sports yet and said, oh, mate, uh, can you put Vossi on all the Eels games <laughs> yeah. for the rest of the season? So the Eel Whisperer. The Eel Whisperer. And, of course, uh, the Eels' first game of the uh, of the, um, of the eight, final eight, uh, is the Panthers, who are their bunnies. Exactly. And it's going to be quite an interesting one for the Panthers because – I'm, I'm using this as a hypothetical scenario here, is that, of course, they rested pretty much their entire team uh, this weekend and they lost to the Cowboys. And say they do win next weekend, then they're pretty much all those teams are going to have another week off again, which I, I don't know how well that's going to impact player form mm. or anything like that. So I'm quite curious to see how that one plays out. Yeah, me too. I think that's, uh, it, it could be detrimental. Um, so. Well, I th- I think so too, and I think back to was it last year's finals? The Panthers weren't very clinical. I think they were pretty poor on attack, but their defense was outstanding from memory. So having a two week two games off in three weeks, yeah, that that I I would thought that would probably wouldn't have helped, but. Hey, I'm no footy expert, apparently. Yeah, okay, there you go. Well, the Sharks play the Knights at 4 o'clock. Uh, they win that, they go second. So that would mean they would host the Cowboys um, in who uh, in Sydney, in the Shire. Um, how do you like the Sharks? I mean, they, I've mentioned a couple of times they've kind of been a little bit forgotten about, even though they've been going pretty well. Everybody talks about, you know, the Roosters, the uh, the Storm and the Panthers, but not so much about these guys. Yeah, look, the Sharks have been absolutely incredible. When uh, Stephen Kearney got the sack uh, in 2020, uh, the first person I wanted as the coach was Craig Fitzgibbon. I really felt that he was going to develop a good coach, and I know the Sharks have brought in some good personnel this year. Of course, Nico Hines uh, being the big one, uh, Dale Finucan another, uh, Matt Moylan kind of playing some of the form that he was well-known for at the Panthers, although he's playing in the halves and not a fullback. It feels like that all those pieces are really clicked together. And the Sharks, it could be one of those things for the Sharks where maybe next year would probably be more their year because they've got lots of young guys and got the young coaching set up and playing finals is a quite a different beast. So they could struggle this year and then maybe next year will be that year. But you could easily say the same uh, about the Cowboys as well, because I think I think after last year, lots of people had them in the mix with the Warriors and the Bulldogs and the Tigers for for that wooden spoon spot, and they're going to finish in the top four. Yeah, incredible, incredible. Yeah, they. I mean, the uh, some the way that they've recruited um, too. I mean, it's not like they've brought in a whole bunch of big names. They just obviously changed how they're doing things. So uh, good to see. All right, uh, let's have a look then. Uh, ben, before we uh, hear from Stacey Jones and the presser, uh, your picks this weekend, we pretty much know, uh, next weekend, we pretty much know the matchups. Um, Eels versus Panthers. Oh. I. Uh, I'm struggling with this one because the, the reason why I'm struggling is it's because the Panthers are beating them twice this year. The Eels have beaten the Panthers twice. Yeah. yeah. That's why I'm struggling with it because. 
I would I would I would normally go the Panthers, but the Eels just the fact the way they've done it, it's 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 really got me thrown here, and I'm thinking and I'm thinking and I'm um, I'm I'm going to go the upset. Let's go Eels. Go the Eels, all right, and so you can stay on uh, the uh, Sharks and the <laughs> Sharks and the Cowboys. How do you think that one plays out if it's in Sydney? If it's in Sydney, then I would back the Sharks in that one. I don't know. I, th- I don't know what the Cowboys form in uh, New South Wales is of of late or how good it is of late but I would probably pick the yeah the shark if it's in if it's in New South Wales it will be the sharks if it's in Queensland it will be the the cowboys the home field advantage will pay off yeah well, that is. what about the uh, the storm take on the raiders oh, I think I think the storm will win that one I'm, I'm pretty confident about that even though both teams have probably haven't been particularly flash but. Uh, the Raiders have kind of had to play out of their skin to get into this position. Uh, a big part of it as well is because of the Broncos' fall. And the thing is, when you come into these top eight things, lots of experience counts, and that's what the Storm have. So I would, at the moment, yeah, it would be the Storm. Storm, all right. And uh, that leaves us with uh, one more, which uh, we've already seen a bit of a dry run, although uh, I think they probably would have kept a few cards close to their chest. But the Roosters and the Rabbitohs, two teams with no love for each other, also go head-to-head in a sudden death game. Yeah, look, the Roosters, of course, heading into this final series in absolutely incredible form. Uh, many people think that they could be that t- the first team outside of that top four to probably make or win it because of how good they've been. But for me, lots of it would depend on who's available. Of course, Joey Manu went off with an injury, and there's some fears that he could miss the season or even the World Cup, which would be a huge loss for the Kiwis. And if a guy like that's unavailable, and I think Jared Wawira Hargraves was another one, uh, I think the Roosters could still get it done, but it probably won't be as convincing as if those guys were there. Yeah, the uh, the Rabbitohs will get Damien Cook back as well. Yeah, which is a massive, massive addition, uh, especially since he's a, he's a very key part of the team and his speed out of the uh, dummy half is incredible. But I would, yeah, I think if I was if I'm putting money on it, I would definitely probably go the Roosters. But as I say, it probably won't be as convincing as it probably should be. Mm. All right, there you go. That is a bit of NRL chat for you here on SENZ Sunday afternoon. It is uh, three twenty-one. Just updating the scores from the NPC. Uh, Hawks Bay lead. Can- Canterbury 18-8 in Christchurch at the moment, and it's a tight one. It's uh, It's been a pretty inter- uh, entertaining game, actually. Otago taking on Bay of Plenty in Dunedin at Forsyth Bar. There are 18 minutes to go, and it's all locked up at 27 all. When we come back, we'll hear from Stacey Jones post-match from the Warriors yesterday. It is 3.25 here on your Sunday afternoon on SENZ. Of course, the Warriors did get beaten in... Uh, that golden point game against the Titans last night. Stacey Jones, who's been interim coach, fronted after the match. Stacey, I guess you thought that you don't really. No. Um, should have, though. But um, we know that we were playing against a team that can play good attacking footy. You know, we come up with some you know, dumb moments on the field, you know, the, in that last sort of 10 minutes. Um, and by no means did I think it was it was over, you know. We um, we just come up with some some dumb plays that got them back into into the game. And it shouldn't have been like that. I, I mean at this point is it and this is sort of I guess highlights some of the frustrations that they've seen. Yep. Yeah, very disappointing. Um, yeah, we've had some tough moments this year and you know, that was that's right up there. 
It's, we spoke about it in the sheds. It's a, it seems to be the story of our season. We some, have some really good moments, and tonight we built a really good lead. And then, then like they said, just dumb moments or, or lack of discipline, or whatever it is, we, we just find a way to shoot ourselves in the foot. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very frustrating. I was going to say, just going to the Golden Boy times, you didn't have Sean there, you've got a couple of big kicks early on, you know, what was your sort of thing there yeah, I thought we didn't handle that well at all, you know. Taking a, a, a field goal from a long way out, you know, time on the clock and, you know, the game is about building pressure and, you know, we go down there and, you know, try a miracle field goal in tough conditions. That was a moment that, you know, we didn't do smart, you know. You kick it in the corner, put pressure back on them, you've got the wind and, yeah, we just, we weren't smart there. Yeah, just just individuals um, just losing their head, I guess. This um, lack of discipline at, at times. There was um, a few times we took a, a the, the easy option um, and gave cheap position away when when it could have easily been ours. Or you know, it, it, it happened in different ways, but um, yeah, it's just individual lapses at, at crucial times. Been some tough games this year, but what's the feeling in the dressing room right now? Seeing some of the faces on the TVs, everyone's a bit strong. Yeah, it's a pretty somber mood at the moment, um, especially with the, the circumstances of the game. We we had a really good lead um, going into the last eight minutes, and and then we just let let them back into the game too easily. Stacey, you've been through some really tough seasons with this club as a, as a player and as a staff member. When you factor everything in, where does this one rank in terms of the, the toughest seasons this club's ever had? Um, yeah, obviously, you know, like thinking back, it's, you know, we've had some tough moments this year and I know at the moment my head's a bit scrambled with what happened, you know, 20 minutes ago. So, um, yeah, uh, it's... It has been a tough three years for this club um, and, you know, we had some stuff, you know, um, that we had to deal with during the year and not nice, but, um, you know, at least uh, the boys can have a break and, you know, reset themselves and wherever they go, whether they go to another club or the boys that are staying here, you know, they've got to turn up wherever they go to and, and get themselves ready for, a, um, I'd imagine, a tough pre-season. And Reese lived with a shoulder injury. What's the story? Yeah, he had a peck, peck injury. Yeah. So he um, medical advice we got. He uh, he was no good to to continue to play. Does that does it look like a serious one or? Was it... I don't know. It's just a, he couldn't catch the ball or or pass. So that was the um, feedback we got. Any other major group concerns? So there you go, Stacey Jones uh, in his last presser as the Warriors head coach as the season wraps up with that disappointing 27-26 Golden Point uh, defeat to the Gold Coast Titans. Uh, When we come back, we're going to talk Premier League. Uh, A lot of news, Manchester City, Liverpool both drop points uh, overnight. Controversy of the West Ham-Chelsea game as well and more. Brett Angel, former Everton striker, joins us after this. Super intense, um, 
end with a, a lot of really spectacular moments. Um, they obviously scored a goal. I didn't see it back, but I think they watched it long enough, so it probably was offside. Then Ali with a sensational save. Don't have, I didn't see that back. I have no idea how the ball couldn't go in. But we had, I'm not sure, I think three times post and um, a few unbelievable saves of, of, of people. At least half a dozen. Wow. <laughs> wow. So and now what can you do? So that it, that it was not an easy free flow. You cannot, in this game, easy free flowing is not possible. So you have to dig in really deep. That's what we did. And um, so in the end, it's nil nil, which is, sounds strange, but that's it. You can sense a bit of frustration from the players that they, they wanted to create more and, and get through the lines. I think. Yeah, but that's, that, that, that's normal. That's what they should try. But um, it's a, for, for different reasons, not so easy. And um, super intense week for us. Wednesday night, really tough game. Had to go until, had really to go to the wire. And then um, yeah, a few days later, you, you play here. And, and yes, we had in the past, especially last season, games where it might have looked slightly different, but they were in a different moment that time as well. So, and if you if you open up with a with a goal or whatever, that the situation it can look different. But most of the time, we know that. I don't know how many derbies I played now, um, quite a few, and it's always difficult here. It was always we expect that, and it was difficult today. Cavalier, is he? Is that injury serious or just a? No, I'm not 100 sure, but we all think it's the it's a muscle above the knee with a massive dead leg. Very painful, really. Whoever had that before, you can say that's one of the most painful things you can get. But should settle quickly, but. We'll see. We play already on Wednesday, so I'm not sure about that. Just to mention, yes, the bigger picture: players coming back to trip to Napoli. Good timing for them. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm not for the for the Napoli game. I'm, I'm not sure. Probably Thiago can train for Monday, but um, that's then two days training. So what does that mean? If that's not one hundred percent sure. Um, no, apart from that. That's the group, but that's fine. That's fine. It's um, the situation is like it is, and um, we have to. Um, yeah, for for today, look, you, you you can cut out the derby always out of the season. It's always special. It's always different. Wherever we were there, and they were fight for for relegation. Apart from last year, um, it was always really tough. And we we won here when with uh, I remember that five years ago, but that was with a late, late, late goal from Daniel Sturridge rolled the ball to the post pretty much, and Sadio Mane reacted to the quickest. So this game was not better uh, at all. It was just a tough one as well in the end. Um, I I don't forget that they had a big chance the goal was offside so that I don't count that really even when it was close but the chance with um, Ali made a save that was proper apart from that we had obviously bigger chances and um, yeah but it's okay now so there you go that is Jurgen Klopp the Liverpool manager speaking after the Merseyside derby uh, finished all nil all draw at Goodison Park joining us uh, to talk about that and a few other things as well as former evidence striker Brett Angel g'day Brett how are you not too bad, Ricardo. Yourself? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Good. Uh, what did you make of the game? A, a big improvement from um, Frank Lampard's team. Yes, obviously. I think the new inclusions and just uh, it being a local derby as well that does uh, tend to be a different game to many of the others. But yeah, I thought uh, it was a, a real proper derby, real close. Could have gone either way. Uh, good goalkeeping and maybe a little bit better finishing than we would have got uh, an eventual goal. But, uh, yeah, I think both teams, I think Liverpool would probably be a little bit more disappointed than Everton in relation to the result. But uh, it does leave you in thinking that uh, 
Everton, if they continue to play like that, you know, results will be just around the corner. Yeah, you'd hope so. I mean, it was a game that yeah, Liverpool had the most chances, but really, if you're an Everton fan, you'd be going, well, that offside was like, you know, there was not much in that offside goal uh, that Connor Cody scored. Uh, and I know Frank Lampard brought it up post-match as well, but was Virgil van Dijk lucky to stay on the field? I suppose, yeah, I'm in another game and, the, the, and a different interpretation and uh, he he walked. But that's probably the frustration that many coaches and the players feel is because it's, it is that inconsistency. You know, you've had a lot of VAR issues uh, over the weekend and uh, I suppose it just comes down to interpretation and who's interpreting uh, what will lead to a different end outcome, which does become frustrating. Yeah, become very frustrating. And, you know, Liverpool, I think you heard uh, Klopp there talk about they, they picked up another uh, couple of niggles. Now they've got, they're down on numbers as it is. It doesn't sound like Thiago uh, or any of those guys are going to be fit come uh, Napoli midweek, the first Champions League game, which is in Naples. And the way Napoli are tracking at the moment, but I wouldn't mind a, a wee sniff at Napoli at the TAB. Yeah, it doesn't get any easier. Obviously, this is this is all part of having a squad and uh, utilising those players for whatever fixtures that come around. But when they're coming around with the consistency of, you know, basically now I think for the next six six weeks you're looking at um, a midweek competition as well as the uh, Premier League. It won't get any easier. And if was if performances aren't at that real top level, then, you know, the, the Premier League's very unforgiving as well, you know. So uh, you, you, you don't perform, it's likely that you're not going to get a result. I guess from an evident point of view, there, there were a few opportunities left out there and one of the new signings that started was Neil Mopai. Great with his movement, Brett, but his finishing leaves something to be desired, which we probably learned from his time at Brighton, right? Because he had a couple of great opportunities, but hit one of them straight at Allison basically, when he had the whole goal to shoot at. Yeah, I suppose you'd probably say when he has time, he's probably a player that maybe uh, thinks a lot around what he needs to do rather than just does it naturally. I don't think he's a natural goal scorer. Uh, but again, in the situation I think that Everton were in, in relation to the timelines that they had, maybe that's a stronger player that was available uh, to, to support them. I think he's more of a sort of, yeah, five to eight goals a season player rather than, and then you'd be hoping for a fair number of assists to try and help. But obviously still at the moment, that would be the where I feel with Everton. I can't see an abundance of goals uh, on, a, on a consistent basis other than Calvin Lewin coming back and getting back to where he probably hasn't been for a good 18 months. We also saw Manchester City drop points. Uh, one all they drew at Villa. So uh, Stephen Gerrard, uh, much like Frank Lampard, in a situation where desperate need of points, and probably most people didn't think his team would get anything out of today. What, do you, what did uh, Stephen Gerrard do with his team that it enabled them to keep uh, Erling Haaland quiet? Well, I suppose what you could say is what they managed to do was keep Erling Haaland to only one goal rather than three, but. Uh, you know, it's a difficult... It, look, at the end of the day, there is a definite gap between, realistically, those that was those top two and uh, the rest. I think the, some of the rest are getting a little bit closer uh, from the early season form, but whether they can consistently provide that. I think it's certainly at home. I think Everton, Aston Villa, all of those teams really 
will make the difference. If their results at home aren't strong, they're going to struggle away and go and get results as well. And I think at the moment there's an expectation that Aston Villa are going to be a top-half team, but their performances probably haven't sort of justified that. I would imagine this is a game where nobody expected them to get a, port, to get a result. And that's what, when you really are struggling uh, for, for points, you've got to go and get the unexpected. And I think that was probably a more unexpected point for them. Whether it will actually make uh, more positivity around their performances, you know, only time will tell. Because I'd probably say that, like Everton, they probably haven't really played too many, uh, you know, real top four, top six teams. And their results haven't really been as positive as what I think uh, they'd have been looking at come start of the season. Mm. We saw um, Tottenham beat Fulham 2-1. Uh, that was a game they kind of had to hang on a bit. Fulham have actually, under uh, Marco Silva, done a pretty good job this year. I think most people had them to go straight back down, but he seems to have found a way to get Alexander Mitrovic to uh, score goals in the Premier League like he did in the Championship. Yeah, I think, again, it's that early season form. I think that's possibly uh, really given them a little bit more confidence because, as you say, everybody was really expecting them to be in the bottom three. I think uh, that, that's been very positive. And they've actually had what you would consider to be quite a hard start as well and managed to pick up points. They've played Liverpool. You know, they haven't got anything out of Tottenham. But, again... Those were games, I think, where generally you'd look through the the season and go, yeah, we'd be ha- we'd be happy if we could get anything out of those games. So, you know, I think in front of where they would have thought they would be, uh, and it's again just a question of whether they can continue that consistency. Because as I say, the Premier League's very unforgiving, and if you're not really continually keep performing. You know, it does find you out even against the likes of the Southamptons and the Brightons and the teams like that because, you know, they're as good on their day to go and get a result, um, you, you know, regardless of whether you're playing, you know, you're against Fulham or you're against uh, Liverpool. What about Spurs then? I mean, a 2-1 win here uh, against the Fulham team, that, as you mentioned, they took points off Liverpool first game of the season. They've, uh, under Antonio Conte, probably become a little bit more pragmatic, but they've also added more attacking options with like the likes of uh, Richarlison, Kulusevski to, to back up Kane and Son. How far do you think they can go this season? Yeah, for me, I think they're the team that possibly now could bridge the gap between where they were to top two. Uh, I think they've got a little bit more consistency, certainly at the start of the season. Europe may get in the way of that as well because they've not, you know, as I said, that's another one where now it's a week a midweek competition and trying to pick up but certainly from the starting point of view I think from the people that have been brought in they just look as though they've got a little bit more depth to work off of those competitions and to actually compete and yeah for me that they're probably one of the teams that I think now will be a little bit closer to the top two than were previously and uh, yeah whether they'll actually get right in and amongst it only time will tell but they've given themselves a little bit of a decent enough start to uh, to sort of think that, uh, well, if they continue in that vein, they're going to be right there banging that race. Yeah, they will be. Uh, now, Chelsea beat West Ham this morning 2-1 to bounce back off that loss to West Ham. Uh, but they're probably lucky to get the three points here, weren't they? Because, I mean, David Moyes called it scandalous, the VAR decision to rule out their equaliser. I've looked at it and, uh, you know, 
I think uh, Mendy, Edwin Mendy, deserves an Oscar for that performance, doesn't he? I don't know what you made of it. Yeah, I think you look at it and you just go, he's in trouble here, he's made a mistake and he's trying to rectify that. And, 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 and oh, well, let's let's pretend that I've been fouled and, and see what happens. And maybe, again, we talk about diving from an outfield player. Well, maybe that's now the, the goalkeeper has looked at it and gone, well, you know, how do I get out of this? Well, there's only one way of getting out of this. I'll try and feign, an, you know, feign a foul and, and, and see what happens. And unfortunately for West Ham, it looks as though the, the VAR referee has decided that there has been an issue and uh, picked him up for it. So, yeah, again, <laughs> it all comes down to not what's happening on the pitch, it's what's actually happening off the pitch. And you just sort of wonder, well, I don't believe the VAR was brought in for that, but it appears now that those people sitting in the offices have more of an opinion about what happens in the game than the actual people that are out there playing it. Yeah, I can understand why Moyes uh, was annoyed. I, know, I see Declan Rice has hit a few bits and pieces as well, so it'll be interesting to see if anything more comes from that from the FA uh, because there was also a, a big call in the Newcastle Palace game where it looked like uh, Newcastle had scored right at the end, but the goal was chalked off for a foul on the keeper. Uh, looked by, for all money to me that a Palace defender had pushed the Newcastle player into his own keeper, so should have just been play on or maybe a penalty. Sometimes I now, Ricardo, and I actually know quite know what the rules are. Uh, but generally, refer, uh, goalkeepers in the past have always been a little bit what we'd call protected. Uh, now there's this call about having a little bit more contact, but yet when there is any level of contact, certainly against the goalkeeper, it appears as though it's, you know, given for the goalkeeper. But again, it comes down to an interpretation. I don't, you know, as I said, the VAR man looks at it and then interprets that basically the goalkeeper would have got that um, cross had the, the attacking player not, you know, gone in on him and stopped him from doing or collecting it cleanly. But like you say, well, the only reason he's gone in on him is because somebody's actually pushed him towards the goalkeeper to force that. And there you look at it and go, well, surely now it becomes a different situation because maybe you need to look at that one before you can look at the second one. But the problem is, is now they can't do that in isolation. <laughs> it's like sort of saying, well, you know, there we go. But it didn't happen in the... Well, you know, I don't, you know, as I said, nowadays I do struggle to understand the rules of the game. Uh, sometimes they used to be quite simple, but now they seem to be very, very complicated around uh, everything. But that's the way that it's going. It's technology, and we were always hoping that technology was brought in for the good of the game, but I'm not so sure now it's still being interpreted by a single individual. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's probably the best way to put it, mate. I think you put it very succinctly. Hey, Brett, thanks very much for joining us today, mate. Always good to get your thoughts on the game. Go well and enjoy the rest of Father's Day. Yep, thanks for coming up. Cheers. Uh, Brett Angel there with us, uh, former Everton striker, residing now in the Hawks Bay. Of course, uh, was the head coach of Hawks Bay and United in the old National League for quite some time. It is 10 away from four. Yeah, this is SENZ Sunday afternoon with Ricardo Ball. In the next hour, we're going to catch up with Jeff Simpson, the uh, former New Zealand Davis Cup captain, to talk the US Open tennis. We've got one week left of the last Grand Slam of the year. Also, Andrew McGlashan from Crick Info, uh, ESPN Crick Info, is going to join us out of Australia to talk the Chapel Hadley series and the Aussies losing to Zimbabwe just the other day as well. So you've got all that and more to come.
Also, uh, tomorrow morning, we were just talking Premier League with Brett Angel. and There are two more games in this round to come. Brighton take on Leicester tomorrow morning. This one at Brighton. Brighton are $1.83 favourites. Leicester four thirty three. The draw three forty. Uh, probably a game I'd leave alone. I think Brighton have been going pretty well, and their structure is very good. Uh, Leicester haven't been travelling that that great, but now the transfer window is closed. I think they might settle down a bit, uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, and they still have obviously Vardy, Madison, Tielemans, uh, and Harvey Barnes, etc. So there's some very good players. Uh, they might even be value it. 3.40, the draw, 4.33. They'd need a win. They are bottom at the moment. And then at 3.30, Manchester United, Arsenal. United, 2.50. Arsenal, 2.70. The draw, 3.40. A tight one. That'll be a tough one to call. So those games coming up tomorrow morning on SENZ. You can get commentary uh, on our Premier League coverage as well before the breakfast show kicks off with Izzy and Kempe in the mornings. Up next, we're talking tennis. It's just gone four o'clock here on SENZ Sunday afternoon with Ricardo Ball. Of course, Serena Williams went out in a blaze of glory uh, yesterday. That was the end of a, a fantastic career. And to talk to us about that and a few other things is former New Zealand Davis Cup captain Jeff Simpson. G'day, Jeff. How are you? Good afternoon, Ricardo. Good, thanks. Yeah, uh, I mean, the end of a stellar career uh, from Serena. She has been lauded in a lot of places, and rightly so for a, for a tennis. I think sometimes uh, uh, it gets forgiven and maybe forgotten a bit. Some of the other things that she's done in her career, maybe not so good. Uh, just ask Naomi Osaka. But uh, I don't think you can argue with uh, the impact that she's had on the sport, both within the sport and in the broader uh, sort of populace as well. Yeah, she's been a sort of a big role model for the woman, and she's you know broken down a lot of boundaries. Um, not to say anything, um, but her play has probably been the thing that's made her really, in my eyes, really great. She had, she brought in like a had a serve that I, you know, you didn't see in the women's game before, and uh, her aggressive play. She's a great athlete, um, and she just really, really good competitor. And um, you know, she won a lot of matches through that real competitive spirit of hers. And um, you know, her big game, and she sort of changed women's tennis around a lot, it became more powerful, and um, I think she was a great role model at the end, you know. Uh, as you say, after all those things she went through, she was just a battler, and she's a fighter, and she fought for what she believed in. So we see her go. She's probably gone at the right time, hasn't she? Because, I mean, I, I think she's been on the downward tra- trajectory leading into this. I think she uh, went out in the first round of a couple of tournaments, so to be fair, I was surprised she got as far as she did in this one, but uh, good, a, a great uh, stage for her to go out on. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, the women's tennis has improved so much now, and especially if you're going to try and win a Grand Slam, you know, fitness plays a huge part in it. And I think she probably, you know, being a mother now, probably didn't have the time or she didn't have the want to put the effort into getting really, really fit, which you need to do. And as I said, you know, the game's progressed in the women so much now where they, they are a lot fitter, they work a lot harder, and... Um, uh, you know, the game is, you know, the women's game has developed, you know, be very strong. So there's not a lot of easy matches for her. And so the deeper she goes in the tournament, the fitter she has to be, you know. So I think that's probably a big thing. And as you said, probably the right time for her to leave. Am I right in thinking that we haven't seen her older sister, Venus, make any sort of announcements just yet? Yeah, interesting enough. Is she's sort of been, you know, she's taken always... She was the one that, you know, sort of came out of the scene first and then Serena 
sort of was the more alpha of the two of them, so to speak. And uh, we haven't, she's sort of taken a lot of more of a back seat to Serena and um, we haven't sort of, you know, you don't sort of hear much from her now. Um, in fact, I don't even know, did she play that t- this tournament? I couldn't even remember. Yeah, she, she did. Played. She did. I think she went out did first she... round, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. See, so not sort of really noticing her quite as much, even though she was a really, really good player, you know. Yeah. Uh, what What about uh, uh, the young Australian then, uh, Tom uh, Tom Yanovich, that uh, that knocked Serena out in the way that she conducted herself uh, post match? Yeah, she was very classy. She she's she seems to be you know she was very thoughtful in this in her, in her speech, and she you know was very um, what was she what was the word um, you know she sort of idolised or she thought very highly of Serena and. Um, and I thought she, I thought she kept herself very, very calm in that match and played a played a good match because it was a not an easy one for her to win. Um, but she came through and played well, and she, you know she's starting to play better and better as we see in you know her previous uh, tournaments and matches, and and she started to get on, you know, and do a lot better than what she's doing before, which is great to see. Now we've seen uh, a few champions go out. Of course, Serena being one of them. Uh, Raducanu, Osaka, they've all gone out. They all went out. Uh, well, those two went out first round along with Venus as well. Uh, it's really opened things up. Um, Svitek, though, the number one, just keeps on winning, just bulldozing through people. Six three six four over Lauren Davis yesterday. Um, who do you think the biggest competitors or biggest obstacles for her are getting this US Open Women's title will be? Yeah, well, that's right. She she is playing well, and she has played well pretty much all year. Um, you see somebody like uh, Kitova coming back. She's starting to regain a little form. As a rinker, um, you know, an older player that's come back, she, she won quite comfortably again. She's into the fourth round. Uh, Daniel Collins, just, you know, the, the finest of the Australian. She won a, a close match against um, Cornet. Uh, so she's playing well. Um, I think Coco Goff, has started to play well. She's starting to realise, you know, her potential. And I think the French woman, uh, Garcia, they actually could play each other if they both win. Uh, she's playing well. Um, there's quite a number of them, the Jabir. Um, so the women's is always quite up for grabs, but I think the one that I would probably be going for would be would be Switek, uh, just on the way she's playing, her experience, you know, in the big matches, um, I feel that in, in the way she's playing at the moment, and I think the court suits her pretty much. So, I mean, I think she's probably my favourite out of all the rest. Yeah, she looks pretty good, mate. She looks pretty good, all right. Hey, mm. let's uh, talk yeah. some doubles action now because uh, Michael Venus and uh, his uh, partner Tim Putz have, uh, are the fourth seeds here, and uh, they've done very well so far. They've uh, won through to the third round where they take on the Colombian pairing of Cabal and Farrar, who are, I think, the 13th seeds. Um, if they win that, they potentially could play Kokianakis and, and Kyrgios. Boy, uh, Venus and Kyrgios have got some history. That'd be a great matchup, wouldn't it, for the the fourth round? Yeah. yeah well, that were, you know they had that um, that match at the Australian Open that was very competitive, and yeah, they did have a few words afterwards. But that's all probably in the in the heat of the battle, so to speak. And um, you know, both both guys will probably be moving on. But you know, they're they're very, very competitive uh, uh, people. Mike's very competitive. Curious, obviously, very competitive. And so if they get to play, that would be a great match. And um, hopefully, hopefully, Mike could get his revenge. That would be good. 
That would be uh, that'd be fantastic. Uh, it's always good to see yeah. the Kiwis doing well on that front, mate. Um, and uh, we should talk uh, men's singles as well because uh, Rafa Nadal continues just to uh, defy uh, Father Time, doesn't he? He's, I think, I think, how many times is it now? Is it eighteen times in a row that he's beaten Gasquet and uh, just keeps rolling on? Well, eighteen times in a row without losing a set, which is pretty impressive <laughs> statistics. And uh, <laughs> I thought it was going to be another one of those, you know, it was six love, six one, and he was up a break. And you know, you thought, oh, here we go. But Gasquet, to his credit, did fight back, and um, you know, he took him to seven five in the second set. But you know, Rafa just always seemed a little bit in control of it. And as the tournament goes on, you know, Rafa is just getting better and better and better. So you know. Um, if he gets through that next one against TFO, who's, you know, he's playing well to beat Schwartzman in straight sets. Um, uh, you know, he, so he'll give him a good match, but it'll be a good, it'll be a match that I think Rafa should win because he, I think he's beaten him the last couple of times. So that will make him even better for the next match. And um, as long as his fitness stays there, I mean, he's certainly a force to be reckoned with, that's for sure. Um, we also have in the men's singles in the fourth round, uh, Daniel Medvedev, who is the first seed. He, he won pretty uh, convincingly in the third round against a Chinese opponent. He's going to face Nick Kyrgios. So it's one versus 23 in the seeds. Kyrgios beat JJ Wolf in straight sets as well. Kyrgios, before the tournament started, was the fourth favourite to win the title at the TAB, Jeff, even though he's uh, seeded 23rd. What do you make of that? And, and, the, and what has changed in Kyrgios' game in the last year? Well, you know, he he's made a final of a Grand Slam at Wimbledon, which is, you know, a hell of an effort from him. He won the Grand Slam title in doubles at the Australian Open, which I think kind of set him off, gave, gave him a lot of confidence. Um, and he seems to be, you know, he seems to be, you know, sort of really putting out in all his matches now. And, um, you know, he's getting fitter. And I think that match, um, you know, Medvedev and Kurias is going to be a really exciting match because Kurias has beaten him the last three times, even though when he was interviewed, Kurias, he said that, you know, you know, the Grand Slams are a different beast, and that's for sure they are. It's over five sets and fitness comes in, and, you know, a player like Medvedev has won the US Open last year. He's he's very strong final of the Australian Open this year. You know, very, very strong. So, but Kurias has a, a a great game for Medvedev. Um, you know, Medvedev likes to rally from the back and you know take control from there. Whereas Kurias can serve and volley. And when he beat him last time, you know Kurias was serving and volleying him quite a bit, and it was sort of getting under Medvedev's skin. So if he can do that consistently over over that period of time of the match, you know he's in with a good chance. And um, you know Medvedev will be out for sure for revenge, and you know the defence of his title, of course. So I think that's going to be probably, that'll be the match of the tournament Yeah, on paper yeah. Um, to start, you know, to this part of the tournament right now, yeah. Uh, the winner of that plays the winner of Karina Busta and Karen Kashinov, so that's uh, one to watch out for. Um, Berrettini, he's been going pretty well. He knocked out Andy Murray. Uh, he will play potentially Kasper Ruud, um, who's playing the Frenchman uh, Moutet. But Ruud has, has played a lot of tennis this tournament already. I mean, that third round uh, match against uh, Tommy Paul was a five-setter, what, four and a half hours. Um, how do you rate those two chances uh, on that side of the draw? Well, I think Berrettini is like Rafa, you know, he's had the experience, he's been to a final of a Grand Slam, you know, he's been consistently top, 
you know, 10, top, even up to, I think, number five, six in the world. So he, he's got the background and experience behind him. And although he's been out, each match he plays, he is getting better. And um, I think, you know, the way he's playing at the moment, you know, to come through, like you said, um, you know, for Kina, that's who he plays next. He's a tough player, tough Spanish guy, but... I, I think Veratin, if he can play, you know, just a little bit better again, I think he's got a really good chance to win that. And then, as you said, Casper Ruud's played a lot of tennis, but he is extremely fit and um, he is playing well. So that would be another great battle there. Um, and I think, you know, with Veratini with the serve and the big forehand, he's definitely got a chance to get it through to the to get through to the semi-finals. In the bottom half of the draw in the fourth round, uh, Cilic, Marin Cilic, the uh, Big serving Croatian, he got rid of Daniel Evans in four, and he comes up against Alcaraz, who's just been on fire. I mean, uh, nobody seems to be posing him any problems at all. Straight sets against um, John Brooksby in the last round. Um, do you think there's anything that Cilic can do to stop Alcaraz in that fourth round? Yeah, Cilic is playing well, and you've got to remember he's won a US Open. So, you know, he, he knows, he likes the conditions there, and if he serves well, he's a little bit worried against when he was playing, Dan Evans, is, he went off in his serve a little bit, um, but he managed to, you know, he managed to win um, in four. But they were, the first two sets were pretty tight. Um, yeah, he's got a good chance, but I think, you know, Alcaraz is, you know, he's starting now to, to, you know, to win in these Grand Slam events, which is, you know, what he wants to do. He's proven that he can win the, you know, he's won a couple of 1,000 um, ATP tournaments and, you know, he's beaten all the top players. And I think now he's, you know, he's starting to get through. He's into the fourth round. He's playing, like you said, very, very well. And um, he's fit. He's young. He's very, very keen. I think I, I think he probably will be too too good for uh, on the day for Chilich. But, um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Chilich did come through that section. And of course, uh, yeah. they're on. Uh, whoever comes through that section is on course to meet Rafa Nadal, who we've already talked about. Plays yeah. Francis Tiafoe, yeah. um, and the winner of Tiafoe Nadal plays the winner of Rublev Nori, number seven and number nine as well, which is another another great matchup. So it really is a stacked side of the draw, the bottom half, isn't it? Yeah, some yeah, some good, some really, really, really good matches coming up, and um, I think exciting. It'll be interesting. Um, you know, to see if how Nori can battle against Rublev because Rublev just got through in five type sets today against Shapovalov, uh, which is a great match. But he he has got a day to recover and he looks pretty fit. But that'll be a good match, a great chance for both of them to get to play. You know, hopefully Rafa in the in the quarters, but um, you never know. But you know that should be some good tennis too. So you know. Very, very competitive matches from well, they're all competitive, but especially now it's getting really exciting. I mean, getting down to the real, the real exciting part of the of of the draw. Yeah, mate, it is. It's uh, it's yeah, it's, it's really now when we separate the men from the boys, as the saying goes. In this in this last week, you know, you've been at it a week, playing every uh, every second day in, in pretty tough conditions. Uh, who do you fancy uh, if if you had to pick a winner now? Who do you fancy in the men's men's side? Oh, I could probably, I could probably, I can probably not ever get against Nadal, but. <laughs> Um, the likelihood of it is that you know I'm probably probably going to lean if he could get if Medvedev can get through Kyrgios I'll probably lean towards Medvedev. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, because at the Australian Open, he did have him two sets to love and three two, you know, for he love. And uh, Rafa came back and and fought his way back through, and, and you know, we saw a great match there and won it. Um, whether Rafa has can do that again, um, I don't know. I mean, I just think probably at the moment, Medvedev, uh, you know, he's the guy that's won the US Open. He plays well there. He's got a lot more on his side. His, his biggest match today is going to, you know, is obviously curious because he's got, you know, he's won three matches against them. So that's going to be the test. But if, you, if you're making me pick, probably, um, you know, I hate to go against Rafa. <laughs> it's hard to go against Rafa, isn't it, mate? Hard yeah. to go against Rafa. Yeah, it is. I, I don't, I don't think I, I don't, I don't. Although I've said all these things objectively, you know, looking at it objectively, I, I just, I, my heart's with Rafa. You know. Yeah. There you go. Uh, you, you heard it here first. Uh, Jeff Simpson, uh, Rafa Nadal will win the U.S. Men's Open. Uh, he is the three dollars sixty favourite uh, in that uh, tournament. Uh, he's the second favourite there, and uh, on the outright, of course, in the women's as well. Uh, I think we both uh, thought Iga Schweitek would be the one to go, and she is the outright favourite, paying two dollars eighty at the moment at the TAB. Jeff, thanks very much for coming on, mate, and having a chat. Uh, enjoy the rest of your Father's Day, and uh, we'll catch you again soon. And uh, enjoy the rest of the tournament. Thanks for having me on, Ricardo. Appreciate it. No problem, mate. Anytime. Anytime at all. Uh, Jeff Simpson, pleasure talking tennis with him. It is 17 past four here on your Sunday afternoon, Father's Day afternoon on SENZ. It's 22 past four here on SENZ, your Sunday afternoon's Father's Day with Ricardo Ball through till five o'clock this afternoon. After that, we're going to cross to some live rugby league out of Australia. The Tigers take on the Raiders. I can tell you that the uh, Knights are playing the Sharks at the moment. The Sharks win this one. They finish second and will host the Cowboys in next weekend's uh, playoffs. Uh, The Sharks are currently up 6-0 halfway through the first half. Uh, Also, we've had uh, some Bunnings NPC action today. We saw Canterbury come from behind. Hawke's Bay were leading in Christchurch 18-5 at one point, but Canterbury came back, ended up winning 32-28, and Bay of Plenty were on the road in Otago. They were also trading for long periods, but came back and won 33-27 over Otago. Coming up, in uh, oh, shortly, actually, we're going to see North Harbour take on Counties Manukau. So uh, we'll keep uh, you up to date for that once that kicks off as well. Also getting underway soon is the Chapel Hadley series. New Zealand are in Australia, going to play three games all in Cairns. And this is off the back of the Aussies. Uh, dropping a game yesterday. Uh, was it? No, it was Friday night New Zealand time. And not only dropping a game, but dropping a big time, and dropping it to Zimbabwe, of all teams. And this wasn't, um, what would you call it, it wasn't a shadow Australian team, it wasn't Australia A or anything like that. This was the top Australian uh, team, probably pretty much the team that we are going to play in the Chapel Hadley series, and they got absolutely spanked by Zimbabwe. Uh, So... That is something uh, we are going to talk to Andrew McGlashan from uh, Crick Info about in the next uh, well, 10 minutes or so. He's going to come on. But, yeah, the Zimbabweans, they bowled Australia all out for 141. 
Uh, David Warner top scored for Aussie with 94. So what's uh, quick maths, the rest of the Australian team scored 47. Uh, he got 94 of them. The rest of it reads like a phone book. Aaron Finch, 5. Steve Smith, 1. Alex Carey, 4. Marcus Stoinis, 3. Cameron Green, 3. Glenn Maxwell, the only other player in double figures with 19. Aston Agar, Duck. Mitchell Stark, 2. Adam Zampa, not out, 1. And Josh Hazelwood, Duck, as well. So 31 overs gone, rolled for 141. And Ryan Burl, the leggy, took 5 for 10 in three overs for Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe chased it down. They uh, did it with 11 overs to spare. They lost seven wickets, but still 142 for seven. Zimbabwe winning, beating Australia in Australia in an ODI. Yeah, um, that happened Friday night, and the Aussies, you can imagine, uh, won't be in a great frame of mind now, and the Zimbabwe have probably done us absolutely no favours. But Lockie Ferguson is part of that Black Caps team. Uh, this is what he had to say as the Black Caps get ready for the Chapel Hadley series. Yeah, it was nice. Uh, rain when we landed yesterday, but uh, cleared this morning for us, which was nice. And uh, one of our more favourable games, of course, is soccer volleyball. Um, tough loss for our team today, but um, we'll come fighting back tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, certainly nice to get out, have a few laughs, have a run around and then um, yeah, get into the gym as well. Um, but certainly a nice spot. Um, you can probably hear the beach party going on behind us. Um, and what did you make of first look at the ground as well in terms of potentially, obviously, um, all three, not potentially, all three games in one place? What were the early impressions? I'll be honest, I didn't look at the wicket, um, but it's still a few days away, so I'll, I'll take a peek in the next uh, few days. But the ground's typically big for Aussie. Um, so we have to sort of uh, work that into our plans, a bit different to West Indies, which were the slightly smaller grounds, and, and New Zealand, of course. Um, so probably a lot more twos to be um, run by the lads um, with the bat and obviously cut off for us in the field. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a lovely ground, it's a lovely spot, nice to be here for the first time. Um, but yeah, we'll see how the wickets play tomorrow uh, at training. They tend to be a good sort of indicator of how the wicket might play and then go from there. Um, obviously all three games also day-night fixtures, you had a bit of a day to kind of get see what the Keen's climate is like. What have you made of the uh, sticky conditions so far? Yeah, a bit sticky for sure, um, but I think we're getting quite used to that as a, as a team. Uh, it was the same in West Indies for us, so uh, nothing too dissimilar. There's talk of there being maybe a bit of dew around at night uh, if the wind sort of dies down, but these are just sort of all the indicators we've got to build into our plans. Um, but certainly um, having three games in one spot, obviously we're going to have to learn as quick as we can um, game to game. Um, but yeah, really excited. Um, boys are feeling fresh, ready to go. Um, and yeah, a couple of days for build-up, which, which is always nice. In terms of the opponents for this series, obviously Australia, they're playing a one-day series right at the moment against Zimbabwe. Um, for you, in terms of the challenge with Asher Brigger, is that one you look most forward to? Yes, where I debuted, of course, so um, hopefully my game, the first game goes better than my debut uh, and, and managed to bowl all 10 overs, um, but no, uh, it's nice memories to think back to how nervous I was, um, how excited I was to play against Australia in the Chapel Hadley uh, and then get another opportunity um, come Tuesday to um, try and get the trophy overseas, which, which would be nice, but of course there's a lot of work to do before then. Um, but yeah, the boys just behind me in the team room are watching them take on Zimbabwe, and you know Zimbabwe have put up a hell of a fight, so um, certainly um, good signs for us, but we know how strong this Aussie side is, and um, certainly when they take the puck against us, they're going to be um, coming with a lot of heat. So uh, good challenge for us this week, and, and just excited to get underway. Um, in terms of preparing for that challenge, obviously you play cricket around the world in different leagues and you do actually have some Australians as teammates in those different leagues. Does that sort of help with your preparation and also kind of breaking down some of that barrier of, of some of those guys and sort of understanding their games and helping your preparation as well? 
Uh, look, I, I think any experience you get playing cricket at the top level is going to help. Um, it's great to talk to. I had Pat Cummins on my side and, and KKR, and you know it was interesting talking to him about how he goes about training, uh, loading, trying to maintain himself on the field as much as possible. Um, so it's all good learnings. Um, but you know, you see how competitive those guys are, both on and off the field, of course, um, on a few rounds of golf. Um, but yeah, look, uh, the Aussies, when they put that yellow jersey on, they tend to sort of lift another level. Um, so we'll have to do the exact same. Obviously wearing our favourite black jersey. Um, but Tuesday is going to be a good challenge and we'll take it from there. And just lastly, you've obviously come especially out of a one-day series over in the West Indies. This is one-day cricket again for you in terms of your preparation. How do you go about getting ready for one-day cricket? Yeah, look, um, not the tour that I kind of wanted, one day's wise in Barbados and um, disappointing on a few levels. So it's nice to take a break away from the game, having been away for sort of five months. And just, I guess it's amazing how you come home for 24 hours and you feel a bit more relaxed sleeping in your own bed. And of course, seeing your loved ones, your girlfriend. Um, but, you know, we've felt refreshed having that week at home and now we're back again. And uh, just last week, I was just working on the basics. And I think uh, when you have some tough times, the basics is the most important. So I'll be working on similar things going through the next few days and um, certainly fit and rearing to go hopefully Tuesday. And it should be an exciting game. There you go, Lockie Ferguson talking ahead of the Chapel Hadley series gets underway Tuesday afternoon. And you can catch all the commentary right here on SENZ. We've got all three games next week, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday from 4.30. Uh, I think it is on Tuesday is when the game starts. So there'll be a bit of lead in. So probably from around 4 o'clock, you can catch coverage of the Chapel Hadley series live right here on SENZ. I can tell you that Newcastle have struck back against the Sharks. It is tied up at 6-all, 17 minutes to play in the first half of that match. And North Harbour Counties, that kicks off in around six minutes time uh, between now and then we're going to catch up with Andrew McGlashan from ESPN Crick Info This is SCNZ on your Sunday afternoon, Ricardo Ball with you through till 5 o'clock we are 25 away from 5 and uh, I know he'll be having a good time or over the weekend in Australia, this is Zimbabwean cricket team after their big win over the Aussies. Joining us to talk about that and to preview the Chapel Hadley series from Crick Info, ESPN Crick Info is Andrew McGlashan. G'day, mate. How are you? Hi there. Nice to be with you. Yeah, thanks for coming on, mate. And uh, Ryan Burl, wow. What a turn from him. Um, five for ten off three overs. Not, not a bad return. Quite a day, wasn't it, for him? I mean, comes on as the sixth bowler used... Um, with Australia sort of rebuilding from their early problems. Um, they looked as though they were going to post a decent total with, with Warner and Maxwell building a partnership. And, and, and three overs later, they were all out. And uh, yeah, Ryan Bill had these extraordinary figures. It was, yeah, it was one of those remarkable spells of bowling that it's hard to really explain um, what happened. I mean, there was a couple of, couple of fluky wickets in there. Ashton Agar managed to somehow flick a massive full toss to mid-wicket and, um, and David Warner was sort of caught at the second attempt out at mid the tail just, yeah, the, the, the tail just couldn't play him. So, yeah, fantastic effort from Zimbabwe all round, actually, to, to bowl Australia out there. The tone was set early on by their seamers and then they did fantastically well to, to hold their nerve um, to, to, to score the runs. Yeah, I mean, and that's not a, that wasn't a weakened Australian side by any stretch, was no. it? That was the full-strength team. What's the reaction yeah. been like in the press over there? Oh, to be honest, subdued because it's football final season over here. So this cricket series, it's fair to say, has not been the biggest deal going on um, in the sporting world over here. And um, kind of the fact Australia lost just created more of a ripple than them winning the first two games. Um, and it certainly, it certainly created more uh, follow-up than them going and winning 3-0. 
would have done, but it's not it's not certainly sent the, the social media world by storm. I mean, there's actually a lot of um, delight in Zimbabwe's performance, really. It's actually quite a feel good. It's actually a feel good story. Yes, Australia, Australia have lost a game of cricket. They didn't play very well. Uh, but I think on the flip side, what a magnificent day for Zimbabwe. I mean, we all know how tough it is for them to get these tours in the first place. They've basically been in Australia for, for nine days. They had two days of training to get over jet lag, having flown from Harare, and they're back on the plane to Zimbabwe today, and they can go home with a victory under their belt. So and clearly everyone likes it when one of the big teams gets knocked off. It's a terrific story. It's always good fun, shall we say, when there's a result like this. But I think it's just, I think the overwhelming feeling is sort of the feel-good element um, for Zimbabwe. Yeah, a feel good, very much feel good element for the Zimbabweans. I doubt that uh, that would have been, you know, might have been on the wish list, but I don't think it would have been, you know, something that they thought was going to happen on this tour. I mean, certainly after the way the second game went, where they were beaten inside 43 overs, that game was done um, almost before our lunch had arrived in the uh, press tent. If you uh, if you want sort of an idea of how quickly the game transpired um, during, during the week, and even David Houghton, the Zimbabwe coach, was acknowledged yesterday that if the toss had gone the other way, and the toss was very important in these early morning starts in Townsville, if the toss had gone the other way, he, he almost admitted Zimbabwe would probably have gone the same way as their second game. But importantly, they made use of that toss. They won the toss. They got the chance to bowl. Their seamers were very good. They had Australia in all sorts of trouble early on, and they were able to back it up as well um, to get the score. So Houghton, Dave Houghton is very realistic about where Zimbabwe stand, which in a sense is why these wins are so much more so important for them. Uh, but he was also magnanimous enough to say it was a big toss to win. Yeah, big toss to win indeed. Uh, of course, the Aussies will be set up now for the Chapel Hadley, which starts on Tuesday up in Cairns. Um, mm. uh, how much are the conditions in Townsville that we've just seen like the conditions in Cairns? Can we, can we draw any parallels? Uh, well, the big difference is that these games in Cairns are going to be day-nighters, so that shifts everything a little bit differently. We won't, there won't be the early morning moisture that there has been in Townsville with the 9.40am start. The games start about 2, 2.30 in Cairns, so traditional time for day-night cricket. So you'll get, the, you'll get the afternoon warmth and sunshine, which should have dried out anything from the morning. And then we'll see what impact the floodlights have later on. There hasn't been much top-level cricket in Cairns for a number of years. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what it's like under lights um, mm. at the stadium. But the feeling was um, yesterday that um, it will be kind of, conditions won't change massively and there shouldn't be a massive factor in terms of the outcome, in terms of winning the toss. It'll just be dependent on what each team fancies doing on the day. So it feels as though it's going to be less important. Although the, the factor to watch for will be if there's any dew in the evenings and whether that makes it easier to chase under lights. And to be honest, in one-day cricket these days, teams tend to like chasing anyway. Uh, but whether the toss makes that a big factor, I'm not sure it will. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not sure what the uh, weather conditions are like there, but I, I was wondering, you know, traditionally quite humid there. Uh, will, will, will the ball be expected to swing and, and will later on in the night negate the swing? Yeah, so it's still sort of, obviously we're playing, the, the matches here are being played in sort of the tail end of winter, really. It's still, it's obviously we turned into spring just a couple of days ago, uh, but it's not the peak heat season up there in Northern Australia at the moment. It's still effectively their, their dry season. So we're looking at temperatures of around about mid to high 20s, the forecast is, uh, for match day, and then sort of nice, pleasant, warm evenings. So I don't think there'll be, a, a, humidity will be there. It's in the tropics, so there'll be an element of it, but I don't, it won't be anything like if you're playing cricket up there 
in the in the Australian summer, so in a couple of months' time, and it will get really hot and sticky. So um, there might be some element of the day-night factor coming into it, but my gut feel will be it'll more be what each team prefers to do rather than conditions dictating it too much. Uh, now, we saw, of course, uh, the Zimbabweans caused the Australians all sorts of problems in that third ODI, and uh, Ryan Burl take that five for ten. Here's a leggy. Uh, the Black Caps have not named a leggy in their squad. They have three offies, but no leggy. Uh, have they missed a trick here? Oh, it's always good to have a leg spin if, if, if you can have one. Um, I mean, it, it's... Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, always nice. And Australia do have a history of um, of, of struggling a bit against um, against the ball, which turns any either way, but certainly um, certainly from the wrist spinner. So, yes, if, if, if they could have found room for a wrist spinner, it might have been worthwhile. But they clearly like uh, Mitch Santner and, and Michael Bracewell's come in and, and made a, a good pitch for a full-time spot in that side. Um, so they do have bowlers that turn it each way. Um, but, yes, as a rule, it's always a good idea to have a leggy against Australia if you can find room for one. Where do you think uh, the, this Australian side is at at the moment? Of course, we saw Warner get runs there, uh, but Finch, or I was going to I was going to list who failed, but pretty much everyone else failed uh, in that last mm. game. But where do you think that this this Aussie team is sitting with a World Cup not too far away? I don't think there's massive question marks over it beyond the big one, which is the form of the captain, and that is going to dominate um, going into this week against New Zealand. The fact he's only made 21 runs in this series against Zimbabwe, which continues a very lean year in one day cricket for him. So that, from an Australian point of view, is the big narrative leading in to this series. If you look at their team, though, I mean, I can't see the personnel changing massively between now and the ODI World Cup in, in, in 12 months' time. What they're working on at the moment is the balance of the side, and they've had to sort of adjust that slightly. Mitchell Marsh has picked up an injury which is ruling him out of these one days. He'll be okay for the T20 World Cup, but they've sort of put him on ice for these one days. And their plan was to play a lot of all-rounders and use Cameron Green at number eight. Well, he's gone up to number six now. In the last two games against Zimbabwe, they've played Ashton Agar as another bowling all-rounder. So it's just changed things slightly. It will be interesting to see in Cairns whether they try and find a spot for either Marnus Labuschagne to strengthen the batting again or for Sean Abbott to give them another pace bowling all-rounder. Um, but if you were to throw ahead 12 months, I think out of the squad that's on display against New Zealand, the majority of them will be on display at the World Cup. Pat Cummins has been rested. Uh, he'll come back in. Travis Head um, will be an option for a top-order spot. Um, that's obviously linked significantly to Aaron Finch's form and whether he's still captain come the next World Cup. But that's the, that's the big storyline, really. I can't see there being massive changes elsewhere between now and that ODI World Cup. Well, I mean, with Zampa, Agar and Maxwell in this, you know, just looking at the team that played Zimbabwe, if you're going to put Sean Abbott in, it's going to be for one of those. And I'm probably going to suggest it's Agar, isn't it? Yeah, he, he's the one. He came in for Mitch Marsh from the first game of this series. So that's how they tweaked the balance of the side. Agar's a very good cricketer and he certainly no slouch at the bat down there um, at, at number eight and offers, offers, offers 10 overs if you want him that way. Um I do think Sean Abbott is unlucky not to have had more cricket for Australia. And he sort of is probably, a, he's more like for like with Mitch Marsh in that he's a seam bowler. And Marsh is more of a batter, but he, Sean, Sean Abbott provides the seam bowling. So, and I think with Glenn Maxwell in there, my feel is that they can do without another spinner. So my, and my, it's just a gut feel and it can change on conditions. And of course the World Cup is being played in India, which might change things again. But in Australia, my gut feeling is they could probably find a spot for Sean Abbott there and use Maxwell as the second spinner. 
Mm, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Of course, one of the other things you mentioned, Aaron Finch, lack of runs, captaincy questions. Uh, it feels like at the moment uh, the... I guess the advantage in the negotiations, if you like, if you want to put it that way, it would be with David Warner because, you know, Australian cricket have managed to get him to sign a deal to play BBL for the next two seasons and not go to this UAE league. And all of a sudden the question about overturning the captaincy ban comes up. Those two things surely can't be linked. Uh, I can't see David Warner captaining Australia. I think that, I think that has probably passed him by. Um, I think the chance he'll captain the BBL if he gets his ban overturned, and there is definitely a link between those two things. But I think at Warner, what is he now, 35, 36? I think that would be a bit of a backward step for Australia to give him the captaincy after Aaron Finch. Um, I think they'll look for one of the next generation. Mitchell Marsh has been mentioned as an option. Um, there's one or two others that they, they, they could consider as well. Uh, Pat Cummins, of course, is test captain, and he has said he doesn't want another bit of work on his plate, but he would no doubt come into consideration. Uh, when Finch departs, it would be a big surprise if Warner took it. I just think that they'll look beyond that. I mean, he, 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 not to say he won't have some sort of leadership role as the band gets over to him. He unofficially has, has roles like that now anyway. He's a senior player in the team. Uh, so, yeah, I can certainly see him captaining in the BBL um, if that eventuates. But international cricket, I think his time as a captain is done there. The Kiwis always go into these Chapel Hadley series as underdogs. Uh, they've been playing a they've been playing a bit of cricket. They've been playing some reasonable cricket as well. Uh, looking at the squad that we've named uh, that's over there, what do you make of it, and and ha- how do you assess the squad, and what chance do you give them uh, in the Chapel Hadley? Oh, there's no reason they should be underdogs at all. I mean, they are they are the number one ranked. Um, ODI team in the world and Australia aren't. So, I mean, if you're looking at it like that, New Zealand should be favourites um, for the series. And New Zealand are at full, are very close, if not at full strength. I mean, they've they brought their full cohort of fast bowlers with them. Uh, Matt Henry's fit again. Um, they've got the batters available. Um, so, I mean, it, it should be a terrific contest, actually. I mean, I know it's being played very early in the season. And perhaps people on this side of the world are not fully engaged with cricket yet, as they would be in a couple of months' time, but it has the makings of a cracking series. Um, and it's too close to call, really. I mean, it's short and sharp. It's over in the space of a week. So whoever gets on a roll might have the early advantage. But um, it, it's far too close to call. This New Zealand side covers a lot of bases. I know we've touched on um, the lack of a leg spinner, but they are they are stopped in all other departments. It'll be fascinating to see what balance of side they go for and who they might leave out in that first game. So... Certainly no reason why they should be underdogs, and it would be no surprise at all if they came out on top um, at the end of the series. Well, I can tell you the TAB here in New Zealand has the market looking like this. Australia $1.51, New Zealand $2.40. That's our own bookies. <laughs> well, I get that there's history involved there, isn't there? And there's a general... I mean, when teams come to Australia, they are generally viewed as second favourites. I mean, and there's a there's sort of a, um, a narrative inbuilt with Australia, New Zealand in, in cricket as well. Um, I, I, yeah, I think that's doing New Zealand harshly. Yes, Australia have played a week of cricket. New Zealand have not had a massive break since the Caribbean, so there's no reason why they shouldn't be especially underdone. Um, short, sharp series, I, I think it's far too close to call. In terms of uh, what to expect, I know you mentioned that Cairns hasn't seen a lot of international cricket, but uh, you would think that whoever is looking after the, the the wicket there will be looking to do Australia as many favours, the home side as many favours as 
as possible. Um, so it should be a hard deck. It should do something for the for the for the pace bowlers, but probably um, take a little bit of turn as well. Do you, you expect? It's actually quite hard to say at the moment because it's early season. They won't have had a wicket up all winter up there, really. So um, tough. I, yeah, I, I don't. I, it surprised me if it had too much pace in it purely because of the time of the year. I mean, Townsville had a bit in it, but it was more the uneven bounce in Townsville or the bounce rather that caused a few uneasy problems um, for the batters there. I, I, I expect it to be in favour of the batters. I mean, if you look at the balance of the two sides, Australian Zealand, they, they actually stack up. Like uh, quite quite similar. There's a strong hand of pace bowlers, a couple of decent spinners, strong batting lineup. There aren't really many differences towards how the two sides make up. So whatever the conditions, I can't see them themselves leaning massively one way or the other. Um, but yeah, there's an element of the unknown as well because of the time of the year and, like you say, the lack of the lack of recent cricket up there. So the first game, I think there'll be a bit of feeling out in terms of how things play out, and we should get a better idea few games two and three um how things pan out so if you were going to win the toss in that game you'd be putting the opposition into bat oh i just sides generally prefer to chase in one day cricket i unless there's anything to massively tell them otherwise it would wouldn't surprise me if both sides fancy a chase also allows them to get into the series by bowling first there's less risk of you losing the game in that first innings if you bowl first um so yes if i was having a in each way now i'd probably say it'd be a Side will want to chase in that first game, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see how it plays out. Yeah, good stuff. Are you heading up there? I am. I'm heading up on the morning of the first game. I'm there for the first two matches, so yes, I'm very much looking forward to it. Good stuff, Andrew. Thanks very much for giving us some time, and I uh, really appreciate it. Go well and enjoy Cairns. No worries, anytime. Cheers, Andrew McGlashan there from Crick Info with us. Uh, yeah, check out ESPN Crick Info, great website. All the coverage you need, and of course, you can catch all the live commentary from the Chapel Hadley series right here on SENZ as well, starting on Tuesday afternoon for the 4.30 start. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely, and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply, so visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.